I mean, one of the great famous things about journalism was comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I think I'm really good at the second one. <laughs> I'm not so good at the first one. Yeah. But I like to give voice to people that don't have voices. Welcome to The Common Threads. During each episode, we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods, influences, and habits of the people behind some of the world's leading companies, movements, and ideas. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app, or check us out at commonthreadsmedia.com. I'm your host, David Swain. Today we're talking with Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode and her podcast, Recode Decode, where she interviews some of the biggest names in tech, business, and politics. Kara has long been one of the most prominent names in tech journalism, which is how I know her. But I wanted to get to know how she got here, how she grew up, who she is as a parent, and as a boss. As usual, she doesn't disappoint. Growing up, like, you look at the 10-year-old Kara, like, who were you? (laughs) Driving with my mother. (laughs) I know people say that they change, but I was pretty much the same obnoxious character I was when I was a kid. I was very outspoken. I was very um, forthright. I remember my mom told me, and I remember this in fourth grade, I walked out of class and said, I already know this. I was actually, oddly enough, I was a, they thought I was a way smarter than other people when I was younger and then everybody caught up to me in sixth grade I didn't stay (laughs) I didn't stay a genius but early on I read very early I was very articulate super early I was way ahead of the class it was in the advanced stuff very early but then I people caught up to me especially in math I was good in math until I wasn't so I was a lot the same I wouldn't say I was I think it had to do with I knew I was gay I think I I was very confident as a woman Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, I think that had a relation to it, even though it wasn't sexual at the time. It, I had an attitude of... You've got this. Tough, I yeah. got this, no problem. And my, my dad died when I was five, so I think that also contributed to a personality trait of, I'll be fine. Like, because yeah. when that happens to you, it's the worst thing in the world, and then you're fine, even though you're not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so you, you survive something that awful, very little is going to bother you the rest of your life, I think. Where were you? Well, in New York, yeah. in New York, uh, in New York and, and New Jersey then. Uh, first New York, where my dad and my dad died, and then we moved eventually to New Jersey, nearby Princeton, New Jersey, not far. Very similar towns. They weren't, they were sort of preppy, rich yeah. people towns, uh, suburban towns. Um, but nice suburban, not, not like track housing, very beautiful towns. Princeton, I lived in Roslyn Harbor, New York. It was all Locust Valley, New York, very pretty. And then went to private schools. You have two siblings? Yes, a brother and two brothers. Are you? I'm number th- middle one, but I'm yeah. the only girl. Yeah. So that's a benefit. Like so I get so I don't have the middle child syndrome because I was yeah. the only girl. Two years apart, uh, great brothers um, get along great with yeah. them. One's a doctor and one's a lawyer. So your brothers, when your dad passed away, mm-hmm. how did that We were very like, close. We're yeah. very tight. We're very my, with my you mom, we're very tight. Or... Yeah, we're a very tight group. Um, we're very close. We got along, you know, we've had the normal fights, yeah. but it wasn't traumatic. It wasn't a traumatic upbringing, except for that. Again, it was, the, it just, everything paled in comparison to that. Yeah. My brother was older, so he was more affected. Uh, my little brother hardly remembers it, but obviously does. Yeah. And it didn't occur to me until I was, I had a child who was five that I realized how big an impact it was. Because my son and I at five were really close to each other. 
and really knew each other very well. And he was very articulate at five. So I obviously, I don't have memories, but I, I obviously was badly uh, devastated sure. by it. Yeah. Made me think when Cheryl's uh, lost Dave, what her kids, I think one of her kids was five. Yeah. And I just, I just remember, I had a lot of memories after that. I can't even think about it. I know. My kids. I know. Like, but you know your kids you, well at five. Oh, yeah. Like five. They've it's, been around forever. What are you still doing here? Why aren't you in college? I know. I, yeah. I watch videos. Facebook memories pop yeah. up. Yeah. I remember that. When they were that. three or four, they're the exact same exactly. as they are now at 10. Yeah. The, you know, I think personality. I mean, people. everyone's nature versus nurture. I think there's a lot of nature in people. I yeah. do. Although I think nurture changes and shifts and affects it. Very severe things, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, they defer people's dreams, but I think a lot of people are the way they are when they're born. My kids are yeah. like that. I know that. One of the things that I've always really respected, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is the red chair, the people yeah. who've sat across <laughs> from you over the, the yeah, it's years. Yeah, it's a good is, technique, the red chair, it bothers people. But you really, I feel like, can see people for who they are. Yeah. From my side, you've always been able to hold people accountable while also building trust and respect, yeah, which is a hard balance. I think balance. it's hard. I think one of the things that we've always maintained, Walt and I and the whole of Recode, is that smart people appreciate smart questions. And I think when I started off, I was much snarkier and tried to gotcha. I think I, but I changed that quickly because it's not a real conversation. If, you, if you're having a relationship, you don't talk to people like them. If you're having a real relationship. And so what we wanted to avoid is being super friendly with these people because we're not their friends. Like, even though they sometimes think I'm friendly, it doesn't mean I'm their friends. But that we're, that we want to listen to them if they have legitimate and substantive things to say. If they want to try to, like, do end runs around us and talk in nothing speak, then we'll say, what is that? Like, we, we want to have, like, a conversation where they say something stupid or something kind of inane. We go, well, that's inane. Like, what do you mean? Like... So I think people like that about our aspect. I don't think that people find it special, but I don't think it is. I think what the problem is, is so much interviewing is bad. Like it's just bad. It's either obsequious or it's mean. And so when you have something that you actually listen to something, you go, oh, that's an interesting point of view. Or I didn't know about that. Like you just enter a conversation with curiosity and sometimes you want to go at them. You know, you have a problem with them. Like I had a really... um, I've had some tough interviews with Mark Andreessen about jobs and stuff like that, but they, he can keep up and stuff. So I think they like it. What is the history of the Red Chair? Weirdly enough, it was not really that organized. We Steelcase was one of our original sponsors, and yeah. they, with the way they were the sponsor was that they donated furniture, which is very expensive actually. When you're doing an event, you're yeah. trying to save money. Like you know, we want to keep the, all the everything else beautiful. We want to have the great drinks or the cookies. You don't want crappy cookies. You know what I mean? It has to be a beautiful experience. But you, you have to look for costs, you know, savings. And so Steelcase was a sponsor which provided the furniture because we like the look, we love the look and feel of Steelcase. And, and Steelcase is one of the premier furniture people use it in Silicon Valley. So we thought that was nice. And they said, look at this red chair. Do you like it? And we immediately, we didn't start off. If you look at the original uh, All Things D conferences, they were just chairs. They were nice chairs, but they weren't chairs you remember. And then I think the second year they lent us these. It was the newest, it was called the... I can't remember the name of it. They don't make it anymore. We have one, some of the few left. And they said, what about these? And then they stuck. And then it was the red chair and the hot seat. And the, and it looks great. It's, a, it's kind of it's a throwback to Silicon Valley's early days. And it looks like a spaceship. And it worked really well. So we kept it as a symbol. Journalism for you uh-huh. 
Did you study journalism in undergrad? I did not. I was I was the yearbook editor of the high school yeah. yearbook, which was a position of great power, as you might imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't work on the school newspaper in high school. And then in college, I worked on the student newspaper. I was gonna. I didn't like Georgetown, and I worked on the paper because I didn't like it. And then I ended up working at the Washington Post for a little bit. And I did really well at the student newspaper in Georgetown. I won the first award my freshman year of writing. And so... Of course, since I'm an egomaniac, that got me interested. <laughs> I won the award, so I have to be a journalist. And so I got interested in college and then worked for the Washington Post and then went to Columbia Journalism School just the year after college. It was kind of a stupid time to go, but I did a lot of writing in college and then at the Post during my sophomore and junior year. What about it? Why I liked, journalism? I like the response. Yeah. I like the, you know, I was going to be in the CIA. I wanted to be, I was at the Foreign Service School. And I'm certainly not a diplomat. That would be a problem for me. Um, but I was going to be an analyst. For, I wanted to be an analyst for the CIA. That was my goal. But I was gay, and that was a problem there in the 80s. There was an issue. I know people say there wasn't, but there was. Uh, you know, I mean, you couldn't be gay. It was hard to be an out person then. It, things changed really rapidly in the ensuing years with AIDS and stuff like that. But at the time I was looking, there was a lot of people in the closet. There was a lot of issues around gay people. Uh, there was don't ask, don't tell. People are, yeah. like you're, you sort of remember it, and you're like, are you fucking kidding? They did that. Don't ask them. What the? Who thought of that? Like, right? It's so kooky that we accepted it as something we should do. But at the time, it was a problem, and I didn't think I could serve in government as a gay person. Honestly, I, reporting is adjacent to analysis. I was super interested in propaganda and the uses of media. That was one of my areas of study at Georgetown. I think one of my, I think my Columbia thesis, it wasn't really a thesis, but we, I did a big paper on the uses of propaganda in China. I was interested in the use of right. propaganda in Nazi Germany. I was always interested in how people use media to manipulate. And now here, circle. exactly, <laughs> now I'm an expert. I know exactly what they're up to. No, I actually do. You right. know, distraction, lies, a number of lies all at once. So you don't know which ones, one of them has to be the truth, but none of them are. Stuff like that. It's interesting. Oh, they're, they're textbook Nazi behavior. Textbook. Demonization of certain groups. How do you pick the themes that you're, what you're well, covering? Well, it's a lot the same. It's a lot, yeah. you know, when I first started coming, one of the things that was good when I started covering the internet was I was not non-enthusiastic about the medium. I love the medium. So I wasn't, a lot of people, journalists at the time, hated it. They were like, oh, this is a Ponzi scheme. This is... CB radio, this is blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, no, this was, I was a communications studies person. I really understood the transition between, you know, the telegraph and the radio and television. I really, I did understand that better than other people, I think. And so when I saw the internet, I, I grasped it immediately, what it was. Uh, so I embraced it and, and it, all in all its forms. And I wanted to write about it. And I also wanted to use it. And so I think I had a, a sense of that better than other people and um, immediately wanted to operate in that medium. And so I think I got to it early because the penny dropped really early for me on what it meant. And it does seem like you've always been a couple years ahead, even with yeah. events. Themes. It, yeah, themes, yeah, the, yeah. It's I'm a genius. With the podcast side, too. Is, <laughs> yeah, it was years ago. Know, it was two or three it, years ago, yeah. yeah so here, what I do is I, I'm thinking about TV now. <laughs> now I'm on TV. I'm hot on TV. When I saw the internet, I really wanted to get out of newspapers immediately. I saw mm -hmm. like, oh, this was the death of newspapers, or, or as we conceived them at the time, not media, but newspapers. 
And so I worked at the Washington Post. And so I really was early to that. I was very early to mobile phones. I had a, I used the Washington Post suitcase phone. I used giant phones that they had, satellite phones. I was obsessed with that because I thought that's how we were going to get our... And it's not because I was a Star Trek fan because I really wasn't. I'm not one of those people. But I really understood that mobile communication was going to be enormous, like early, for sure. People made fun of me because I was always carrying around some sort of device that you would communicate with. Um, and I think one of my first articles for the journal back in 1995 or six, somewhere in there, six or seven, was there's a picture of me with big scissors. It was such a ridiculous picture, cutting wires, and it was called cutting the cord, right. like how you weren't yeah. going to use a landline. I kept saying, you're not going to use a landline. Why would you be tethered to the wall? And da, da, da. it was a whole essay on this, that you're going to have a mobile device. You're going to wander right. around it. I was really very prescient about that. And then the same thing with... Um, a lot of these companies. I just, I think I was good at that. I, right now, last year, I started to have a really uneasy feeling about sites, Twitter and Facebook particularly, mm-hmm. um, about their responsibility and how they pretended they had none or they pretended they weren't powerful. And so I started really talking with their executives and publicly pillaring them about their lack of responsibility. This was a year before Trump, right. I think, or right in that period, early period. And then last January, I was like, this Russia thing is really important. This was a year ago. I was like, this is going to be a big deal. Uh, these people have responsibilities they aren't taking. Now everybody's talking about it. Yeah. You know, oh, and of course there's the backlash of we shouldn't be feeling bad about ourselves. We're Galileo, whatever the hell Sam Alton wrote the other day. And so I think I'm, I'm good at picking themes. I'm really in, I was interested in self-driving very early because mm-hmm. I think it had significant impact on society. I think I've missed, I've missed very few turns on the way they're going. Mostly because I don't say no to things when they start. I'm like, hmm. I know a lot of journalists, you know how they are? <laughs> That's not going to work. Like, yeah. do you know? Do you have an idea? Have you asked people? Have you thought about it significantly? Or are you using intellectual, your intellect to go, oh, if they did that, they would do that. I mean, you know. So on media and the challenges it's faced over the last several years, Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to go back and look at yourself coming out of Columbia, what yeah. would you be doing right now? Like how? Still digital news. Yeah. I think, I, I, you know, I got interested in podcasts two years ago. I don't know why. I just thought it was interesting. I thought the mobile device had finally arrived. Sometimes it's not, you can have an idea and it's not the right timing. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, a lot of early internet stuff was right directionally. It just wasn't, the timing wasn't correct. And now, to me, when I saw a lot of this stuff, how I was using the phones, I thought, oh, this is a great way to have an intimate relationship with your, you know, and it also was a link for our events. People wanted more of our events but couldn't go. So I thought, what a great way to deliver our events to them all year round. And then there were dozens of people that I thought were interesting that never got to be heard from, and I just didn't want to write, type out an interview with them. People don't engage very well with text in that form. What about you... You as a boss, yeah. like, what are you like? <laughs> Pretty nice, actually, surprisingly. <laughs> um, I think I, I am, what am I not good at? I sometimes don't assume people aren't like me. So I'm always like, let's go. Like People can be very conservative, and I'm not. You, you know, I mean, in terms of, I always don't see a problem. Like I think I've gotten infected a little bit by Silicon Valley, and so I'm always like, of course we can do this, or what, this is a good idea, and I... I, I I always forget how no, what a no culture in journalism is, like, or we can't do it, or mm. here's why it sucks. 
And so I don't, I think in that, I'm surprised by how many people still need direction. I don't need direction. And I think I, Hmm. I've been trying more and more to hire people that, that need help, but not direct. Like, I don't have to tell them what to do all the time. I I think a lot of work cultures have been like top down, do these six tasks and then come back to me when you're done them or deliver this, whatever. And I think that really great managers don't do that. I think if you're not entrepreneurial in general, you're not going to be a very good worker in the future. And so I try to hire people that are, and have to push people out of their comfort zone. I mean, just Kurt has gotten really much stronger over the period of time because I just don't baby him. Right. And I, but you know, it's not babying really. It's not the word baby because when I was a reporter, it's like go do this story, and this is the way you'll be doing it. Thank you. And so, it's not like that. I'm very open to ideas. I think I'm good at that. I think I can be. I think because I let people do what they want, they sometimes hang themselves. Like you know what I mean? Like they don't like that. They like direction. So I'm not a very good boss in that regard. How do you identify personal growth for yourself? If I'm bored, I stop doing things. I will switch just like that. I think one of the things that, and I'm trying to get my reporters to be, I don't mind people leaving. They don't feel like they're growing. They should go. That's my feeling on everything. I started All Things D when I was in my 40s. I started All Things D in 2002, later in my career. And I was headed to a different, like I could have been been the editor of the New York Times. I could have been the, you know what I mean? Like, I could have been the editor of the Washington Post. Like, I could get on that track or been at least in competition for those jobs or top editor there. I just didn't want to. I just, I remember looking around at the Washington Post and being, I don't want to be anybody here. There's not one job I want here. Mm-hmm. I used to think that when I was in my 20s. And then I, that's when I left. Same thing with the journal. I was like, I don't, I don't want to be here. Like, I can, I'm very good at identifying that. Same thing with All Things D. When it was over, it was over. And I was fine with going. And we tried some, this is what I want to do. And I think one of the things that I think especially women don't do, men do it a lot more than women, is they, they um, I try to please myself. I don't think people try to please themselves. Yeah. If I'm bored and I don't like it, I shouldn't be there. And it, I definitely, there's moments where I do that, where I sit around and I go, I mean, I remember when I wanted to leave the Washington Post, I was walking out of that building working on a book that I was on AOL and I walked out of a beautiful day in New York and I think I, I know just where I was I was on 47th and Park or something, somewhere right there it was beautiful it was right near that building there that beautiful building that's in the middle of Park Avenue it was the Pan Am building at the time but um, and I remember thinking I'm leaving my job I gotta go and I, I just that was the decision it's like and when so I you walk in and <laughs> I just said I'm leaving now. Yeah. I like I just was like I I, I didn't say it immediately, right. but I was like I made the Pretty decision fast. like that. It was like a bolt of the blue. Same thing with leaving the journal. People were like, Mm-mm, these people aren't what we want. We don't like them. We don't like working with them. It's a, it's a fucking pain in the ass. It gives me a headache, and I'm gonna move on. Same thing with selling. When everybody got funded, we had just gotten funded, and then everyone got double funded, triple funded. Six months later, I was like, nope, I don't want to. This is not the game I want to play. So we're real good at moving. I'm really good. And I'm thinking that now. I'm doing TV now. I'm just interested what, in it. So wait, what, what happens with TV? What's coming? We're working on a t- series of TV shows. I'm, you know, I'm obsessed with the future of work and mm-hmm. how w- the impact it's had on our politics, the worries and, and agonies over what, where job training is and, and mm-hmm. education and how it's affected politics in our country. And I was always a student of history, so the shift between farming and manufacturing was interesting to me, and now I think there's going to be a shift... We're in the middle of a major shift that's really problematic. And, I, like, you know, that's why I'm sort of on and on about who's responsible. Yeah. 
for what's happening on social media, on, on, on job automation, robotics, AI, infrastructure, job training, self-driving. It's all part of a really big societal shift that's about to happen or is happening. And when you're pushing the buttons on that, yeah. is it to bring awareness? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm not going to say who called, but I'm getting called from a lot of CEOs. They're like, why do you keep doing this? I'm like, because you need to think about it. Because I know I affect them. Like, I think when I wrote a lot of those those Trump things, when they went there and like little, I don't know what they were doing, right? Without a thought. They're so stupid. And I said, this is so stupid. I think no one said that to them. And I think then they were like, oh, maybe this is stupid. I think I do have, I think when I say things, they, they go, uh, maybe she's right. I think that's my usefulness to Silicon Valley. I, I think I've been using this uh, Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility. I, I believe that. You have as much power and influence now as the people, yeah. the biggest people you're interviewing. Yes, I do. Which is an interesting... Yes, because I can get under their skin. Because yeah. I think they know but, that But I, also shifting public perception. Yeah, is exactly. Real no, I've been, I do yeah. it a lot. Actually, Elliot Schrag was like, would you stop talking about us that way? I'm like, no, I don't think I will. It's mm-hmm. bothering him. I'm good. I'm an irritant. I, is, if I'm an irritant, I'm doing my job, essentially. And so, I mean, one of the great famous things about journalism was comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I think I'm really good at the second one. <laughs> I'm not so good at the first one. Yeah. But I like to give voice to people that don't have voices. For some reason, I don't suffer the consequences. Maybe other people do to point things out. I seem to be able to get away with a lot, saying a lot of things that should be said. Yeah. So well, from and, my side of the table on mm-hmm. being on the other side of that for yeah. so many years, I think the integrity that you bring yes. to it is what matters. Yes, because know, I don't, I'm not doing it for money. Hear. I'm not yeah. doing it for self-aggrandizement. I think it's very clear. It really just bugs me. Like, I think a lot of people, like the Yahoo stuff, it's like, she's not any good. Why are we all pretending she's good? Like, or whatever, whatever the company is, it's like, what do you do? What are you talking about? Like, why are you even like stupid things like Juicero? We did a thing like, what the hell are you doing? This is insane. Like, and that's a dumb thing. Who cares if that company rises or falls? Nobody cares. And whatever. I don't care if VCs lose money. I don't, like, I don't honestly care. But what I do care about is when the things that matter, like I had a great meeting with Chris Cox recently about the platform and we had a really great discussion. I think I've moved him to think harder. And since he's in charge of the platform, good, good. I'm glad he's thinking about it at least. He may not do anything. It may just be lip service, but I don't think so. And again, like gets back to the idea that smart people want smart discussions, and I think it's hard for these Silicon Valley people to understand their power as much. I don't think, I, I sometimes think they're lying, like, what, are you kidding me? You don't know you're powerful? But they do walk around like, well, I'm just one person. I'm like, well, you're a billionaire one person. Well, you have a company that talks to billions of people every day. You have a responsibility, if you have that platform, to think about it, or at least just own their mm-hmm. power. I'd rather have an arrogant son of a bitch any day. <laughs> I'd, rather Larry, I'd rather a Larry Ellison any day of the week because yeah. he doesn't pretend he's not. And one of the things I'm focused on is, is how people find balance. Mm-hmm. And for you, how do you stay balanced? How do you well, know when you've lost it? I have my schedule in my control. That's one of the things I, one of the things I do a lot, and I think people should do when they don't, is they don't assess their abilities very well. I'm really good at knowing my ability, you know what I mean? Or obsessed what they're like. Like, I was a bad employee. I don't like my bosses. I don't want to talk to them. I thought there's so, a lot of them are stupid. And I was like, I can't keep calling people stupid. That's not really a strategy for getting ahead. 
I just didn't want to talk to them and I didn't want them to be have any power over me. And so I said, how can I design a career where I don't have to talk to them? Mm. So I'll be a boss. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or I'm going to be in a position where my leverage is much stronger. And so I think about leverage all the time. And when I don't have leverage, I leave. Like, not leverage. I don't want to have to use it. It's not like I'm like this ridiculous, like it's Game of Thrones or House of Cards no. here. But I definitely think really hard, like, okay, I am not good in a group situation. So let's not put me there. I like very good about the same thing with um, this year. I I get asked to do a lot of things lately. People want me to come and appear or talk or people want to meet me all the time, which is really interesting. And I love meeting you, by the way. No, but you know what I mean? Like people I don't know. And I've been saying no a lot more because I realize I sound stupid. I'm not like her, but Oprah Winfrey talked about this. She said when she goes through airports, everybody wants to tug her because she started it. Like she hugs everybody. But she says it takes psychic energy out of her to hug everyone. It doesn't give her, you know, at some point she gets energy from people hugging her, but it's always taking, 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 and she stopped hugging people. She would still say she has a cold or something like that. And I remember that was years ago. I just thought of it recently, and I'm like, you know, I know what she means. Like, on a small, very tiny level, like, people, I always want to say yes to people, especially women, if they want to meet me, uh, because I like entrepreneurs. I like to help, you know, people that don't have a leg up, I like to give them a little bit of a leg up. And so just recently, I've just been limiting and limiting what I say yes to, even though I say yes to a lot of things. I have to think really hard about what takes from me because you don't have endless time. Yeah. Um, I spend a lot more time on exercise. When you get bored, you're pretty good at recognizing right. and shifting. Right. Um, like what are your kind of techniques for exercise? staying productive, productive? staying motivated? Um, I sleep. I'll sleep. Uh, I take time out. You know, I do recognize I just have responsibilities, and so there's yeah. not there's not going to be like this morning. I'm like I cannot take a nap until Tuesday at four. Like <laughs> I remember, I was sitting there, like I woke up super early this morning because I had CNBC, and I I was like, oh, what am I going to get to take? A-? I like to take naps, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm not going to be able to really have a good night's sleep for four nights. And I'm like, all right, I can. And I was like trying to fit it into the schedule. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just not. I have my kids are here and stuff like that, so they take priority. And so I just was prepping myself for a week where I'm not going to be, yeah. I'm going to be tired. And then I was trying to figure in exercise in there so I could do that. Yeah. I've been not eating meat lately. Yeah. I like it. I yeah. love meat. This is the problem. I love meat. I don't have a pro. I mean, it's really interesting just only because I've been, uh, the person I've been dating is uh, younger, so I think about dying more. <laughs> I want to not die quite There's a great book called How Not to Die. How Not to Die. Have you read it? So she had it, <laughs> yeah. and then she was like, we have to go vegan, and I'm like, oh, don't start with me. That book and then will. I read it, and I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Like, when I hear something that's sensible, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to listen. Like, you go to Berkeley any day of the week or San Francisco, and they yammer at you about their veganism, and you're like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, just stop judging people. Just do it yourself, right. and you're probably, you know, there's nothing worse than people being 100% right and 100% annoying. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, not every vegan is annoying, yeah. but it's just like, you know what? I don't need your fucking lecture. But you're right, like, by the way. And so when I read How Not to Die and then I read the China it's study, convincing. it's pretty convincing. Yeah. Like, if it's you're, pretty basic. Yeah, it's, it's from a science point. And I had already been down that road because of Michael Pollan's stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, eat plant, not too much, whatever. And he's just right. It's just, I, I, like, scientific, from a scientific point of view, it's like, eh, they have a point. It's sort of like a lot of things. Like, oh, smoking is bad for you. Yes, sir, I guess I should stop. Like, that's how I feel. Like, that's what it reminds me of. And so we've been doing a lot of stuff at Code around, like, the Impossible Burger and a lot of this stuff, too. So I've just been personally interested in it. And I've been interested in all these tech people investing in not die stuff. Not because I don't want to. I want to. I'm happy with dying. But... 
Um, I mean, you have to, uh, but they, their, their interest in it interests me. Their longevity stuff interests me, largely because it's mostly male. I know, you know what I mean? Because men can't stand the idea of dying. Yeah. Anyway, I just am interested in the topic, and then therefore I started reading up. And when you start reading, it's pretty hard not to. Yeah. It's pretty hard. And, and I would eat more fish, but it's filthy. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of the problems is a lot. Some of our, our, our ecosystem is so polluted that it's hard to. What about. Um, Mine's good. For you know, you're talking about the CIA analyst yeah. and being a woman, being gay in that, in, yeah. in that 20, 20 years ago. Changed. So now I mean, you've seen up close, probably better than just about anyone in the Valley, on like gender and diversity. That's no, still bad. Where. Yeah. Where are we at? Like, where have you seen progress? And where are you like this? There's this thing right in front of us that. Well, I can definitely say people still hate yeah. women. Like yeah. women still get the short end of every single stick. So I hate to use that term, but it's true. I think that misogyny is at the heart of almost every problem in this in this world. Misogyny is anti-gay too. It's the same thing. It's got this. It's on down the same avenue, and I think it has its structure. It's structural, it's systematic, and it's also, it, it ranges from the small to, you should smile more, Kara. I get that a lot. I'm like, fuck you, I don't want to smile. Like, why should I? Why do I have to add that tax to my day? If I feel like it, I'll do it. If I don't, I will. Like, whatever, it's my business. To, you look pretty today, to staring at someone's boobs, to, it just goes down the lane, and then you get right to, you know, not everyone's down in rape territory. Like, there's only a few assholes down there, but... Boy, there are plenty of people in the middle, and there's tons down closer to the stupid remarks or not, or, or deferring people's dreams, like really not giving people a chance based on ideas because they are pattern matching people that are like them, like not, not taking time to really pick their head up off the table and look around and say, why, why is everybody here a white man? I mean, I don't know why everybody doesn't do that every day. Like, wow, that's something. Could it be that only white men are smart? That must be it. Like, why would you ever come to that if you're a scientific person? You could never come to that conclusion easily. You couldn't. You just couldn't. Like, and then you're like, then you're being willfully ignorant of the issues. And so I think some of them are ingrained. I think I, think I have had an easier time in a weird way being a lesbian because men can get along with me better. Men want to get along with women. It's just there's no sexual element, I guess. I think about that a lot. I'm like, well, I bet they think I'm a guy. Like, I have had, I've had guys in Silicon Valley, oh, what do you think of her? I'm like... I'm a woman still. Like, I feel like you're, I'm not going there with you. Like, still a woman. Still don't like being, you know, objectified. I don't want you to objectify other women. It's really interesting. It happened the other day. Some guy was like, what do you think of her? She's hot. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Not going there. Not having that conversation with you. Like, I don't know why they would imagine it. It was interesting. I, I did understand why they thought I would go along with their stupid game. Like, I'm still not a juvenile 12-year-old. But I think it's not changed at all. I think that's one. The gay has changed, for sure. People have a lot easier time. And not completely, obviously, but it's certainly, you know, it's because gay people demanded it. They got angry. They took action. They changed laws. I think the misogyny part's going to take a lot longer. And I'm not surprised by any of this stuff coming out. Because every woman has a story. Every man who's good doesn't know about it. If that's what the problem is. Really good men are not as engaged as they need to be on the topic. Mm-hmm. Mostly because of, yeah. out of ignorance. What? Like, tell me, you know, I'm sure you're like that. What? I didn't know. Yeah. Why didn't women tell you? Why didn't you ask? You know, there's two sides to that equation. Why do we tolerate little words? 
you know, and then you don't want to get it to be the sex police of people. Like, you don't want to get down that area. But so what if we are for a little while? I'm good with it. And if it clears it up, it scares some people. It, it makes people think. Do you see it being held up in certain pockets of yeah. the valley? Or is it much more broad? I think the problem isn't these real abusers, because I think they're just just fucked up people. Like, you know, you get the... Right. The ones that are serious abusers that are really have a problem, that's just a an illness, just like any other mental illness, essentially. And it's, I don't excuse them for it. I just think they're just malevolent right. people. Like, I don't even an illness. They're just malevolent people. I think the problem is in the middle, much more in the middle, where you, you fund things, you don't, women don't get the chance, you don't think of them, you, you staff your whole staff. I just, again, I don't know how you could look around a room full of the same people and wonder if you're doing your very best at finding the greatest amount of diversity of thought. And, and to me, great diversity of thought is what makes any successful enterprise, I would think. I, I'm not just, I'm not talking about gender, it's just people, different people, team, backgrounds. And my team was yeah. super diverse, not just in terms of like- Age. Age and yeah. you know, Money, race, and, but background. It, it's based on personality type. Right, yeah, and you want people to make you, you feel uncomfortable. You want people of, to make you yeah. feel uncomfortable. I, the other day someone on my staff made me feel, and I thought, fuck you, and then I was like, actually, I hired okay. them, didn't I? I hired them, like someone today was annoying me, and I was like, fucking annoying me. But I was like, okay, they have a You're point. representing a different side. Yeah, it was yeah. interesting. But in general, it's always good to hear things that yeah. you're not comfortable hearing. What about you as a parent? I'm a great parent. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, let my but... son drive with my mother. <laughs> you just saw it on display, on ugly display. Uh, I'm a good parent. I'm a great parent. I think I am. I know people aren't supposed to compliment themselves, but I have yeah. really nice kids. I talk yeah. to them. They're very, they share a lot. The kids, we've, we've encouraged them to share a lot. I think they're smart. I think they challenge things. They're really irritating to me a lot of the time now because they're super smart. I think the other day we were having this really fascinating discussion on AIDS. They didn't, they've been reading about it and they wanted, had questions and had thoughts and stuff like that. I was super proud of them because they were trying to sort it out. Like, did this happen? What was it like that? You know, they're very inquisitive. What's your dinner table like? Or what, where, oh, where does ask Casey. He was there yeah. last night. Um, last night we had talks with everything about like new social networks for kids. You know, like they were showing me stuff I didn't know. Like here's everybody takes pictures of themselves in bubble baths, girls. And I'm like, what? Like, what? What? <laughs> what? It's called yellow or I don't know, something like that. And we talk about politics. We talk about uh, history. I, I spend a lot of time with my kids learning history because mm -hmm. I think it's critical. We talk about music, you know. We, I demand they talk. I mean, demand that they they put down their phones. They're still on their phones too much. I've gotten really good about that, um, about putting down phones. How old kids. were they when they got phones? Early, ten yeah. years old. Yeah. As long as you restrict it, you know what I mean. Like, I there's no look. It's like restricting a car. Like, you can't drive the car, son. You gotta take the horse. You know, it's kind of stupid. It's good because I know what they're using better than they. You know what I mean? Like. If I have a problem with Snapchat, I can call up Evan Spiegel. <laughs> it's kind of nicer. It's kind of a better suit. Or Kevin. I was talking to him about it. They love Instagram, actually. But uh, I think I'm a good parent. I think I let them express themselves. I'm, I'm more strict than you'd imagine about certain things. I want them, in terms of their behavior, especially towards women, we're very strict about that. I think lesbians make the best parents, but that's just me. I just want to so. make them aware yeah. of their privilege. I do that. I don't want to guilt them. I don't want to, like, you know, I, I always joked, like, they're always like, I'm great. You know, men have this thing. They're always great. It's really fascinating. You know what I mean? Now, certain men are very insecure, absolutely. But, like, the ones that aren't, like, 
They're great. That was a great job. I'm like, Mm-mm-mm. not really. No, I'm really just so <laughs> yeah. you know, with Silicon Valley, I question my son's capabilities at the same time. When they're good, I point them out. When they're bad, and that is one thing. That's the last thing I'll yeah. I do point out when things are good, when they do good things here in Silicon Valley. I do not necessarily. I'm not always out to say they're evil, although some of them are. The reason I am so hard on them is because I'm so astonished by the innovation for what's happened in the past 20 years. And I think people would be surprised how much I think, how important I think it is. I think, though, in the past couple of years, it's become weaponized. It's become malevolent. It's become dangerous. And the people who are in charge of it are not doing enough to understand that. It's like almost like nuclear fission. So there we have it. Lessons in nuclear fission, how to quit a job, parenting, and shooting straight. Thanks, Kara Swisher, for joining. This episode was recorded in the fall before some of the issues that have faced the technology industry recently. So definitely check it out for her up-to-date views on what's happening. You can check her podcast out at uh, Recode Decode. Thanks for listening to our show this week. If you want to find out more or give us your feedback, go to commonthreadsmedia.com or leave us a comment on Instagram or Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to Alicia Barrett, who edited the show. You've been listening to The Common Threads from Common Threads Media.